Welcome to Big Game Hunger, a show where me and a guest craft the big next game every episode. We'll be taking three random ingredients and blending them together into one incredible game. I'm Jenna Stever and I crave content. And I'm joined by Clay Murphy. Clay, who are you and what do you have a hunger for? I am Clay Murphy. I am a writer of video games. Uh, I guess mostly known for my stuff at Remedy, Alan Wake 2 most recently. Um... I have a hunger for wild stuff, stuff that I just never saw coming. The more unexpected, the better. Okay. That's for hard. a moment, I thought you were going to say wild rice. Wild <laughs> I rice. Like... <laughs> no, I like saffron rice. Ooh. I like love sticky a rice. rice. <laughs> I love a sticky rice. I love a basmati. <laughs> <laughs> All rice, really. Let's list rice. No, no. You're not going to distract me. Uh, well, maybe a rice will be questions. a prompt. You don't know. We're getting that, ready for it. Not yet, but I, I don't know what your prompt that you're going to give me at the end is. So it could be rice. That would be <laughs> such rice. a real challenge. <laughs> uh, you, so you've written for, most notably in my heart, you wrote for Control. Um, and I think... Control is such an incredible game, not just because I, I think Control is one of the rare triple A games that actually has pretty incredible writing, which is not always the case with triple A games because there's a lot else going on. So I wanted to say congrats for writing on that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for writing on that. How does it feel to have written for a game um, that's known and beloved for its writing? It's shocking. I think it's shocking. <laughs> it's shocking that control exists, even to me as someone who worked on it. Like, I mean, it's just one of those things I think comes across your desk once in a lifetime. Just like you know, the, <laughs> just the freedom to do whatever you want, and like you know, write narrative documents that are talking about planes being a monster in the sky and the conspiracy of <laughs> trains being underground. Like, oh, I gotta forget what I wrote, but all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, just getting into the weirdest possible place for myself and getting to write that and just kind of vomit it was so much fun <laughs> <laughs> i love the word vomiting when applied to writing yeah well <laughs> it was just... like <laughs> it was no holds barred i mean you know you could do anything <laughs> and that's why vomit's so appropriate it's like the grosser the better <laughs> <laughs> i mean you got that freedom and y'all really ran with it uh it's such an incredible game it's such a weird game it's such a weird game <laughs> uh i wanted to ask if there was anything that you wrote for it that you feel in particularly proud of or that you wish people knew that like that was my fingerprint on that game <laughs> I wrote a lot of those documents you read, um, mm. pretty much all of them. And wow. it was a real labor of love because we wanted to get as many in as possible. And yeah. I'm proud of all of them. <laughs> They're all, they were so much fun. I mean, the Deadlighters especially, like all those conspiracy theories, like this, the wackiest, the feet talking to each other, that kind of thing. Oh my God. <laughs> that was just a joy. <laughs> I mean, what what a delight as a writer to just just be given this such a sandbox and be able to play with it. And then you built such incredible stuff with that sand. And people like it. And that's the thing, too, is, you know, that's why I say I like, I like wild stuff is because I think there's a there's people out there for it. Yeah. Uh, we don't need to be playing it safe all the time. It's true. Arguably very <laughs> little of the time. <laughs> I feel like I'm just so happy Control exists to sort of stir that pot, um, mm -hmm. stir that triple A game pot. And kind of prove to people they can just just push it, just push it a bit more. Whatever you have in your hands, whatever you've written, just keep pushing it. Get it weird. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's also kind of kind of the energy of this podcast is that like, I love games so much, but it does feel like sometimes that there needs to be a catfish in the water mm. of the games industry, kind of kind of pushing things in different directions and kind of uh, pushing the, the bar out. And I feel like indie games are a, a great way of doing that because indie games can take big leaps on weird stuff. And then those things can kind of trickle into the mainstream of games. Uh, and I'm like, I want to do that too. I want to catfish. Yeah. Yeah. I'm playing Inscription right now. Oh. I start playing Inscription and like, I'm just so happy that there's people out there. And I guess game making becomes more accessible and like the tools are just kind of more broadly available. Yeah. We're just seeing more bizarre stuff that people are just kind of dreaming up somewhere. And it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And such a variety too. I, I think like there's just in the past five years, like Venba, I don't know if you played Venba this year, yeah. but that is such an an interesting, I mean, it's beautifully written. It's incredibly moving. It's just this short little nugget of a game. And it's just like games didn't used to be able to well, I mean, games have changed a lot, obviously, in the decades that they've existed, but it, it's mm. incredible that it is to the point where it's like, you can tell these beautiful little stories. And I, it, in a way, it feels like that opens the door for big action games to also tell beautiful, moving stories with interesting characters and interesting plots, mm -hmm. which I'm excited about. Yeah, I think there's still some learning that games have to do about characters being important <laughs> um, and like, you know, people want to connect with the characters and, you know, you need to put effort into that character for that to happen. Yeah. And yeah. That's why like, you know, little short games that have like a very clear point of view are so wonderful because yeah, it doesn't have to be 500 hours. No. It can just be one. Yeah. Uh, I have been playing an insane amount of Baldur's Gate three and it, that is such a clean example to me of like, yeah, actually, like if you commit to making characters that are really diverse and really interesting and really engaging and kind of hot, then that can really <laughs> can really take you a long way yeah. in the game in the game industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been hearing a lot about Baldur's Gate three from my coworkers, and I have not had the time to play it. I just finished Zelda, the new Zelda game. I mean, that's how behind <laughs> I am. <laughs> I mean, that's another game that has just like surprisingly strong characters for a game where you play a character that basically doesn't talk. Yeah, people actually recognize you this time. That was yeah. a big stride for Zelda as a franchise. People knew who Link was. Yeah, like, some of them. Get on you, Nintendo. You made it. You made some leaps and bounds this time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Nintendo. I mean, talk about uh, big games that are sometimes very safe and sometimes not. Tears of the Kingdom is such a has such wild swings in it while still being such a, a recognizable Zelda game. Yeah, I mean, Zelda is one that actually takes pretty wild swings sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's like true. Mario, you know. But I guess that's also evidence that games don't always have to be wildly different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mario's Mario. We don't, yeah. yeah, you know. He's reliable. Mario's so reliable. Yeah, he's a plumber. Yeah, should be. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm going to roll on our spreadsheet to see what our prompts are. Uh, again, we can commit to these or abandon them immediately, as we should so right. desire. Uh, let me roll my dice. Okay. The premise is a gay a job that has never been made into a game. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a tricky one. I just don't um, even know what that would be. I feel like someone's going to correct me. Like, I'm going to pick something. I'm, I'm going to pick plumber, and someone's going to say, oh, have you ever played Mario? <laughs> <laughs> there is the, the chance of that, and I think we're just going to have to – we're just going to have to deal with that. Uh, <laughs> and the scope of the, our knowledge, yeah. The, the – um, 
adjective that we've rolled is actually one that somebody else added to it. I'm very excited. Brian Miller added this, and it's good time, party time is the adjective. Uh, and it's not an adjective in the literal sense of the word adjective. <laughs> not in a lot of senses, I would argue, but yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the gameplay type we got is RPG, so a very standard gameplay type. God, okay, so just to reiterate, our premise is a job that has never been made into a game. The adjective is good time party time. And the type of gameplay is RPG. How do you feel about this spread? I think it's an acceptable challenge. I already have one that immediately came to mind with these three prompts, but I don't know yeah. if a game's done it. I think there's games that have skirted close to it. Uh, catering, okay. catering, wedding catering, Ooh. or any like bat mitzvahs, whatever. Oh, I love that. Um, I mean, overcooked is about cooking, but yeah. there's so much more to catering than cooking. <laughs> Do you know a lot about catering? No. Okay, that's fine. We don't have to know about things. <laughs> but I can pretend uh, like show? I do. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot of what my job is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. As a writer, that's what that's what your deal is, pretending you yeah. know about things and then writing about yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> it's the fantasy. That's, that's that's like saying acting is just about lying. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I think there's more to it than that. My but. job is convincing someone else to lie for me. Oh. <laughs> I, I pay other people to lie professionally. <laughs> Somebody who's going to be more convincing at it. Yeah, to speak my lies. <laughs> uh, I like catering because that because that you, you do have the option of doing like cooking games in that. But then there's also like the 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 I mean, as you say, like overcooked or diner dash, the actual like business portion of it. Mm -hmm. That feels like that's a good reach. Um how would it be? I mean, okay, no, but that also hits good time party time because that's what you get caterers for. You get them for your good time party time. Yeah, if it's not a good time party time, then you failed. Yeah. You get the game over screen. <laughs> you failed to make a good time party yeah. time. You, you, the, the game over pops up. And it's I an do RPG, like that. so someone in your party has to die when you failed. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess in this context, they're fired. They don't die. But I mean, I'm talking about Baldur's Gate. You don't Gate, think yeah. it's a, a bad catering doesn't lead to a TPK where it's just <laughs> all of your waiters and staff are, I mean, are laid out. <laughs> again, I've never catered, so it very well could be. Yeah, yeah. could be. Uh, caterers, tell us. <laughs> Let us know if this is how catering is. <laughs> we'll hire some consultants about the job and get some professional insight. Yeah. Uh, and they will also cater for us for the gaming studio. Oh. <laughs> so we can firsthand experience what they do. Yeah. yeah, that's how you get the discount is you package the services that they're offering. <laughs> okay. Ooh, or, uh, yeah, like craft services, like for a film. Yeah. That's not oh. really good time party time so much. That kind of moves away from that angle. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. true. But it, it kind of opens us up to... Uh, a lot of really playful like settings because it's like I, I think about this whenever I watch like TV shows like it's the Hollywood episode of X-Files it's the Hollywood episode of Columbo it's the Hollywood mm -hmm. episode of blank where it's like uh, you, you get that brush with fame but it's also like satirizing the movie industry often because the people who make those TV shows are, are connected to it but it's also fun because it's just like what what do we have in wardrobe that we can pull out here? So it's like, what do we have game asset wise that we can pull out and make a scene from? And it's like, yep, they're Vikings. They're doing a Viking movie and you're catering for it. I mean, it really opens you up to any setting. 
at all. Yeah. 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 But you're right. You're right. It does back away from the good time, party time aspect. But I mean, I've been on shoots and lunchtime is always a very nice time. So, I mean. Is it a good time, party time though? It's not party time. Because you said nice time. It's a good time. It's a good time. It's not party time. Okay. So, yeah. Deviating too much, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. I mean, maybe it's that, maybe it's, um, maybe what we're doing is we're catering for a film and the B plot is you trying to piece together what this film could possibly be about, um, just based on the wild scenes that we set up. But the A plot is you're trying to cater to this film shoot in order to also cater for the after party, the mm. film wrap party. So maybe the good time party time is what you are striving to get to. Mm. And you're getting the gossip from the extras and the main cast about like what's going on behind the scenes, like who's the director mad yes. at, you know, who's really stealing yes. the show. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I like <laughs> that. Uh, There's like a, you could do some charisma checks. Some of that. Yes. I'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to think of the RPG aspect yeah. of this. Like, you know, while you're serving out the food, you're like kind of making small talk, trying to get the dirt, but you can't tip your hand too far because you get fired. Right. I mean, you have to have a balanced party, right? Because you're going to need people who have focused on strength because you're going to need people who are hauling, hauling, chafing dishes and platters of tiny rolled up sandwiches mm-hmm. that you've made. Uh, but you, yeah, you need somebody who's going to be doing charisma, who can kind of schmooze with the actors, making sure you're still getting business, learning all the secrets. Uh, but you also need you need somebody who's like a wise and intelligent to run the business. Mm-hmm. You can't can't run a business on strength and charisma alone, probably. <laughs> Is there like a bookkeeping element to this as well? Like, yeah, like how far do we go into the layers of catering? I think you have to, because I think the implication of a job that has never been made into a game is that you are paying some kind of lip service to the 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 work element of it, the labor mm. element. Um, but I do think those should all be mini games. Yeah. I mean, dexterity for like making <laughs> the food, you know, making the dumplings, pinching, you know, yeah. Yes. There's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of roles that fit very well into the classic RPG slots. <laughs> yeah. Which is weirdly Very so. odd. Yeah. I never thought about <laughs> a catering staff as an RPG party, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's always been there. It's just been waiting for us to, <laughs> to pull it. To pluck it <laughs> from, from the sky. Now, here's here's a question. So if you can talk to like the extras and you can listen in, you're using your perception skills, you're doing skill checks to listen in on, on what people are talking about. To what end? Are, is there a mystery that you're trying to solve? Is there a goal that you're trying to achieve? I mean, when I think about RPGs, I think a lot about like Bioware. Um, that is kind of where my mind okay. goes immediately. So I'm thinking like Epic Quest in whatever okay. you know genre you want it to be in i'm trying to think how we transplant that framing into yeah well i mean what is the what would what do you think like the epic goal for a caterer would be if you if you're somebody who's gotten into the catering business what is like the top tier uh number one desire is it like catering a wedding for british royalty mm. is it is it catering uh, a a baby shower for Beyonce? Like, what is the top topest tip top tier for a Hollywood caterer? I think now we're getting into character. 
So we have, let's say we have our, you know, lead character in this catering group, maybe the chef, maybe it's like the business end person. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But they have someone, they have someone in mind that they want to one day cater for. That's their dream. That's their, you know, Everest. Yeah. I don't know who that person is yet. (laughs) I mean, it's got to be somebody fictitious that we make up and build up throughout this whole- We should pick a very real person and call them out personally (laughs) on this podcast, I think. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, like I think there's, it's like their motivation, you know, I think that because yeah, catering is always about getting the next job and like, yeah, you're moving up again, the social strata, getting better gigs, higher paying jobs. And then eventually, yeah, like who, what is the top? Well, I let you, you mentioned character. So let's dig a little deeper on the main character of this game. Is the main character of this game somebody who dreams of being a caterer? Or is catering like a means to an end for them? Are they the people running the catering business or are they working for the people running the catering business? Mm. Because if if catering is not does not start out as their dream, you could have an arc where it's like, I'm just, I, you know, I'm actually an actor. I'm just ta- doing this catering part time mm. while I'm trying to make it in Hollywood. That's a classic, classic Hollywood story. Uh, <laughs> and then. As they progress, they're like, no, my dream is to be on the big screen, but maybe through the catering business, they they land a hand on that dream and realize that catering was the best thing for them the whole time. Like having steady employment, getting to work with your hands, making food, that sort of thing. Like that was what what actually appealed to them. And that that could like enable, that could be the arc of the game is them coming to terms with like acting was a fantasy, but it's not actually what I want to do with my day to day. I like that bait and switch. I like them <laughs> having this dream that they think is what they need, but it's just what they yeah. want. And then, of course, you know, over time, we actually learn and have the character learn what they need, which is the family of the catering staff. It's this oh, found family that. narrative. Yeah. yeah. Found family. <laughs> okay. I love that. I love a found family narrative. <laughs> Uh, and I feel like that works nicely because then, the, again, the good time party time is the time that you spent with your found family doing this job that you love. The good time party time was there the whole time. It also really easily slots into this RPG thing of, you know, like it's always an orphan or something who's like the destined <laughs> one and like they have a magic yep. crystal necklace that, oh, well, what a surprise. <laughs> That's actually the thing that summons our god, whatever. Uh, this is, you know, a good subversion of that where they have this like great quest that they think they are the chosen one for. But actually, you know, you just have to kind of be happy with where you are. You have to like okay, find joy I, where you're at. Can I pitch a big swing to you? Yes. What if what you just said was literal? Our main character has a magic crystal and they're destined to be the greatest actor or actress of all time. And and they know it and other people know it, but they still have to work their way to the top because they're not a Nepo baby and they don't just get into Hollywood because they're they're destined and prophesied to be there. Yeah, there actually is like a prophecy that everyone knows. They're just not really adhering to it. They're like, yeah, like that's great, but like, where you have to be professional here. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm the chosen one. I'm supposed to be the greatest actress of all time. But, yeah, but... Uh, you know, I'm just here at, like the rest of you just trying to, to make it day to day, just trying to get a paycheck, you know? Yeah, you need a resume. Uh, you need headshots. Like you can't just rely yeah. on your prophecy that is yeah. etched in like a stone on the top of a mountain or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if any, if anything, if somebody came to me and was like, you know, that prophecy about the greatest actor or actress of all time, that's me. I'd be like, mm, yeah, but do you have any experience? 
sense. Can uh, anyone vouch for you being a good person to work with? <laughs> which a lot of time watching those movies is what I wonder. Like, what are your credentials to be the one who kills like the Dark Lord? Because yeah. there's a lot of other people who seem more capable of it than you, child. Usually, like, you know, 14 year old. So, (laughs) yeah. And it's like those people are always responsible for training the child. And it's like, you do it. You do it. You have like decades of experience. Yeah. Get your own RPG party together and just go take care of the problem. Like, just do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like, what, why in Star Wars, why doesn't Yoda just do it? Is it because he's too old? Well, I think the prequels answered that pretty nicely by showing that Yoda wasn't that good at it or something. He wasn't. He was flipping a lot, I remember, in the CGI, but I don't remember, remember what happened. That's true. He was very avoidant of conflict. Um, mm-hmm. He was more about doing stunts. I think we can all agree Yoda was so much more about the stunts than he was about fighting. So he was not in a good place. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I actually love, I love the idea that it is just, because there, there's a way in that, that, that reminds me of like that genre of comic that is not a big genre right now, but I see it occasionally where it's like the, the chosen one of the anime and you can tell they're the chosen one because they've got like pink hair and everybody else has normal colored hair, but they're just like, I actually don't want to be the chosen one. Ah, so sorry. I actually don't want to do that. I kind of just want to like live my life and like kind of figure myself out. Uh, And this feels like it could, (laughs) I just kind of just want to be a caterer. Uh, And then there's that nice pull where it's like, ah, but you're destined. Do you reject your destiny? And then them feeling like they have to sort of engage with that destiny because like, that they have to like it's just it's everybody knows about it so everybody talks about it and they've been exposed to it their whole life but it's not like true to themselves and then this character arc is about them like realizing that nobody else can tell you your destiny you have to decide for yourself what the right thing to do with your life is and also there's magic i think there's like some kind of grand commentary here on the american dream and like the (laughs) the reality of that <laughs> yes, the dangerous allure of fame. Exactly. Yeah. And like chasing something that's not going to be good for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, because it's the thing that you want or people have told you. Society you has want. told you, yeah. You yeah. you should want to be famous. Yeah. 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 When, when really, I'm going to tell you, it's pretty mid. <laughs> kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> kind of a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, and I'm not even that famous. So and too much attention. I couldn't. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, it's, it's truly the highs are highs and the lows are lows. I mean, because on the one hand, people are, are wild. But on the other hand, uh, sometimes I can DM people <laughs> and ask them to be on my podcast and they'll come and be on my podcast. Thank you for being here, Clay. <laughs> oh, of course. But, the, you know, writing gives me a nice shield like between me and the world. Yeah, that's you know. true. Yeah. That's I'm, true. I'm not the face of anything. That's true. That is a good way of doing that. <laughs> Be audible only. Yeah. Be 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 readable only. That's a good way to do it. I know you've got a big game hunger, but what about a big game thirst? Are you familiar with Shaker and Spoon? They're a subscription cocktail service that helps you learn how to make handcrafted cocktails right at home. Every box of Shaker and Spoon comes with enough ingredients to make three different cocktail recipes developed by world-class mixologists. All you need to do is buy one bottle of that month's spirit, gin, vodka, etc., and you have all that you need to make 12 drinks at home. 
For just about $50 per month, plus the cost of the bottle, this is a super cost-effective way to enjoy craft cocktails, and you can skip or cancel boxes at any time. This is a perfect thing for going into the holidays when you're going to have people over and friends and family that maybe want to impress with a classy nightcap. You can do that with a shaker and spoon box. So invite some friends over, class up your nightcaps, or be the best house guest of all time with your shaker and spoon box. And you can use a big game hunger code to get $20 off your first box at shakerandspoon.com slash B-G-H. That stands for Big Game Hunger. If you're enjoying Big Game Hunger, why don't you check out some of the other shows that are part of the Multitude Collective? I think you'd like Exolore. Have you ever wondered what life would be like on a different planet, one not like Earth? Or how writers create incredible fictional sci-fi worlds like that? Well, wonder no more, because we have facts for you. Hard, real, earnest, legit facts from a real, earnest astrophysicist. And this is true, slash folklorist, Dr. Moya McTeer. She explores fictional worlds by building them with a panel of expert guests, interviewing professional world builders, or reviewing the merits of worlds that have already been built. But if you're interested in world building or space, you should really check it out. You'll learn. You'll laugh. You'll gain an appreciation for how special our planet really is. I know you think Earth is mid, but it's got a lot going for it. Subscribe today by searching ExoLore, which is E-X-O-L-O-R-E in your podcast app, or going to ExoLorePod.com. That's E-X-O-L-O-R-E-P-O-D.com. ExoLore. Check it out. So does this person think they are the chosen one, or does the world want them to be the chosen one? Who is putting this pressure on this person? Himself yeah. or yeah. the world at large? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, because in the in the archetypical structure of like the reluctant hero, it, the hero's journey, it involves them being like, here's this prophecy. Uh, I don't really know if this is me. I'm not strong enough. And then through through trials, they come to accept their destiny. Uh, but if we wanted to do a subversion of that, which I, I always love, a subversion, <laughs> subversion of a, a standard trope, it, it could be like, I mean, maybe they start out really gung-ho to circle back. Like maybe this character starts out being like, I am the destined. I know I'm the destined. I'm, I've just got to work hard to do it. Uh, and then realizing that it's not for them. The, I guess those are the, those are the options. Like either they're really into it, but then realize that it's not for them, or everyone else is really into it, and they have to fight against it. I don't like the hero's journey. So <laughs> I maybe I shouldn't say that no, I'm kind on of record. With you. Um, <laughs> but uh, you don't like the hero's journey, and yet in control, I would argue that no, uh, no, I'm with you there. I think it's I think people rely on it too much as a structure especially in games when maybe we shouldn't be looking at old media structures on new types of media anyway oh. uh, <laughs> that's, that's for my oh, essay what was that feeling yeah. on my cheek it was it was the heat of a hot take oh. Oh. it's not that hot anymore i don't feel like it's lukewarm no but i'll save it for my blog i was gonna say i desperately want to hear more of your thoughts on that so um <laughs> write up that blog and, and send it to me <laughs> <laughs> no no to read it uh, <laughs> Uh, I think it's more interesting because this is obviously like an RPG, which comes with just a whole bag of tropes, uh, yeah. but it's about catering staff. We should be subverting everything we can while maintaining a framework that feels familiar. So I think it should be coming from within. 
this drive, this like, you know, not the world, but even this person arrogantly having this attitude of being the chosen one. And, you know, but, you know, that's driving him towards this place that eventually we're going to pull them out of. But I think it's interesting. It gives a lot of character motivation there and it can create a lot of interesting dynamics with your party because, you know, so much of RPG Mm. is like finding those sources of tension with your party like you know i think from what i've heard baldur's gate 3 <laughs> is doing really well i'm gonna play it eventually i just need to find time but i've been hearing a lot of really great stuff about like the dynamics between the party members and yeah. i think that's always such a great thing in rpgs like when that lands and feels right then i'm just gonna play the whole billion hours of that game <laughs> yeah Bal- i mean you are just to warn you you're gonna you're gonna lose yourself <laughs> in baldur's gate 3 because yeah. it, it does a lot of the things that you're talking about which is like it has what seems like tropes, but then is really actively subverting them. So you have like Asterian, who's like the the one of the the main main dudes. Uh, it, it has such this this like how to describe it without spoiling you. Oh, he all my a, coworkers have just been gabbing about it like nonstop okay, around good. me for the past <laughs> three months. So. It's already been Good. spoiled. Yeah. Well, so he's a vampire, and he he comes off as being very flirty and being very like, "Ooh, uh, I'm a cesarean. Let me drink your blood." Um, and he's great, and I do love him. But then once you learn more about him, you you learn that like this is this is clearly a front, and that like actually he has like a lot of emotional issues around intimacy and contact and physical contact and stuff like that. And so like e- each of the characters in Baldur's Gate. Seems like they're going to be one thing, and then the as you get to know them in the game, it kind of subverts whatever that initial expectation is. And I think it's it's really well done. Uh, I think as a from a writing standpoint, I think you're going to be pleased and great. Will disappear into it. <laughs> sounds like a, a Marceline type if you watch Adventure Time. Yes, yeah. yeah, where where she seems as she seems super evil, like a super evil dame. Yeah, she's just and really then you get to know her. insecure she's actually, chill. and like yeah, yeah she's like, a sweetheart. She needs love. Yeah, yeah, I love Marceline. Yeah, what a great, great character. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think there is there is that aspect that you have to balance. I guess do do we want to flesh out some of these side characters? Because like if you're the super arrogant main character, probably some of the side characters have to be uh, trying to put you in your place. So there's got to be like the grizzled old caterer, uh, oh, yeah. the lifer, who is just like, nah, I've seen I've seen a billion wannabe actors come into this this job and they take it for granted and they don't know how good they got it here. Yeah, like an old soldier type, like, you know, won't even learn your name because they just don't think you're going to be around <laughs> longer than a week. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's got and there's got to be a point when you've uh, had enough contact with that character RPG style. You've said enough of the things that they approve of where they're like they finally learn your name. And it's like, yeah, I did it. We're finally like making headway. Yeah, It turns out they're Uh, only not learning your name to protect themselves from, you know, the pain of losing all these people that they get to know over the, you know, time working together. So he's actually very protective as a person. And you'll see that uh, over the, you know, the trust missions that we're going to, of course, have in this game, <laughs> the, the 30 hours of content in which you get to spend time with this person. Yeah. After all that, you yes. know, you'll learn this is just like a big papa bear. I love that. Genuinely, I'm like, oh, my God, I love that character. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to spend time breaking through that old soldier's uh, gruff facade. Um, 
I okay, so that's a great one. I love that one. I'm obsessed. Is there what's their is role there though? Another... What's and like the catering team? What's are they like a cook? Are they you know the muscle? Are they the person lugging all these things around? Yes. Are they even like the person doing the like planning, like the bookkeeping, the scheduling? I mean. There's so many routes you could take with the that core concept because like the grizzled old soldier, when I when I think of like the most obvious cooking related job it would be, it would be like butchery. <laughs> it would be like like that's the iconic, right? Like yeah. the character the visual novel character with like the bloody apron and the 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 giant knife. Um, but if we were wanting to subvert it, maybe they're like the cake decorator mm. and they do like incredibly intricate, really detailed, beautiful that. artwork. There's a really amazing baker. Yeah. That has like, they're yeah. like, like even like been on those shows where they make cakes that look like cars and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> yes, they're like supremely yes. talented. Yeah. 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 And that is, that is their role is that they're just like, they, they love detail. They're really, they're really invested in that work. But also to get to that level, you have to have like spent a lot of time and energy and really have devoted your life to it. And so they, they see all these whippersnappers coming in, getting access to all of these great skills and then taking it for granted. And it just drives them crazy. Yeah. And it hurts them too. Yeah, because it's like this is my job. I mean, it's like it's like when like a, a coworker leaves, and like you like that person. Like, well, come on, again, like also the you know the offense of like you are treating this as like a stepping stone. Yeah, but this is my profession. Yeah, this is what I'm dedicating my life to. And they're also a chain yeah. smoker, of course, because they're a grizzled old caterer. <laughs> yeah, and having worked in restaurants, yeah, of course, they're just. <laughs> furiously smoking all the time <laughs> all the time yeah nicotine yeah. stained fingers for sure <laughs> always smoky i love it uh is there i mean there's got to be somebody there's got to be like a foil for this this ambition this this acting ambition uh so i feel like there's got to be somebody else who's also like i'm gonna be i'm gonna be an actor i'm gonna be i don't i'm not destined but i you know my heart's in it and i'm really for it mm -hmm. uh it feels like that has to be a character to sort of give give our main character this mirror to look into. I think maybe even someone who's already doing it, like someone who's like a really prolific extra actor, like you know those people oh. whose names we never know, but they're oh. in everything. I and love that. They're they're they've made a good career out of this, but I have to cater on the side because you know it doesn't pay that great. And I mean you know living expenses in L.A. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, but how does that person feel about acting? Like, you know, I think outwardly they're going to be pretty smug about it, but okay. once you break through the exterior. I think, okay, yeah, I like that they're just like, yeah, I've got the most extra credits of any <laughs> caterer in Hollywood <laughs> or something, something really uh, an insane thing to know and brag about uh, that. Yeah. And they're just like, they're really, really bold about it. But then when you talk to them more, you realize that they are actually they are just like genuinely proud of the work they do, because like it, like you say, like they they are an extra. So people don't know their name. They don't often respect or think about the extras. And that's how you know the extra is doing a good job, because if an extra is too showy and too visible, then they're doing a bad job. So this this one actor is like, nobody knows my name. And that means I'm the best extra of all time. And it's just like they're really, really proud of the fact that they're they're so invisible. But that is such a good counterpoint to our lead who is like, no, I want to be the I want to be my name in lights. I want to be super well known. They're going to replace the Hollywood sign with my name. Mm -hmm. 
But even on that level, they're still a bit jealous of this person because they've already gotten a step above them. And like they, they're shooting, they're aiming beyond that person. But like in the short term, they're, it bothers them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, I think they're bothered most of all that this actor is proud and happy of their work. I mm, think that might be the, the running line between all of the the other RPG that's like that's secretly the theme of the other characters that you're you're in your party is that like they are all happy with the work that they do maybe mm-hmm. that's not good for character arcs for each of them but it's a starting point where it's like they have found peace and pleasure and love in their labor mm-hmm. uh, in a way that our lead has they're all content with where they've landed to some degree yeah, yeah it's not the best for drama but yeah we can spice it up <laughs> I mean, because again, the end point maybe. Yeah, and I think you know, there's so much of again the RPG like party dynamics at play that I think a lot of times the arc can just be how they feel about you as the player character. Ooh. I mean, you know, looking at the the baker, like the kind of grizzled person who's been in this industry forever. You know, mm-hmm. it's not so much about them learning something about themselves necessarily, like where they want to be, but more about how they relate to you and like you kind of finding a way through that exterior. And that's the tension that you're kind of breaking through with them throughout, again, however many trust missions we're going to have. Uh, I love that. That kind of thing. That, you just dropped some insanely high tier video game writing expertise. <laughs> I don't know if you appreciate that, but I, I do. I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's such an interesting perspective on how to write characters for a video game where it's like, not every character has to have their inner turmoil that they are coming to terms with. Not every character has to have a full arc uh, because that would be a lot. That would be a lot of content for if you have a lot of characters. But even just like having a character change their opinion about you or you earning some sort of standing with a person is such an interesting way of approaching writing a character like that. Yeah, well, it's, it's character centric. Yeah. <laughs> it all comes back to yeah. character. I mean, you know, because yeah. when you're playing RPGs, especially, like you want to be in that role and you want to role play it. And like you want people to be reacting to you in a way that you feel is earned through your actions. I mean, that's yeah. that's, that's the that's the juice. <laughs> it's not it's not like, you know, curing someone of their vampirism, which is also very interesting if that's the way Baldur's Gate went with it. I honestly don't know. Um, I don't know. I haven't finished the story okay. yet. <laughs> But like that's also very like, fundamentally interesting. But it's plot; it's not character necessarily. It can be yeah. part of character, and you can bring character into it. But that is plot. That's plot, not character. That you're dropping some, you're <laughs> dropping some tier stuff that I, I'm, I'm, I'm like losing my mind about. Is there magic in this world oh, that we've created? Interesting. Is, how how classic RPG wizards dragons stuff is there? I, I didn't even think about that. I just assumed it was like downtown LA, like modern day. <laughs> um, it can be that and magic. It can be. I mean, what was that it Pixar movie? It could be like movie? an urban realism. Yeah. I like that. Interesting. <laughs> How would the addition of magic into this world change the art of filmmaking? <laughs> oh, man. That is a great question. Because like, would you even need set design? Would you even need a set? Like, would you need a light? Like, and that that changes the entire thing of catering. Who are you even catering if there's no lighting? If there's no grips? Like, oh man, I, that's a really heady question. <laughs> Can you just like project um, a scene using illusion magic? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because for the Mandalorian, they had this really fascinating technology that is getting used more and more, but which is very expensive and big to set up. But the 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 technology is basically screens. 
Um, it's basically just, it's kind of green screen style, except that the screens are interconnected with the camera. And basically they have set up on the screens like a fully 3D structured scene. And then as the camera moves, the scene moves with it like automatically. Right. So the actors are actually seeing, it's not a green screen because they are they are actually seeing the background that will be in the scene. Right. And then everything is just like moves with the camera so that it's all kind of baked in preemptively. That's really cool. Um, it is. It's super fascinating. I don't remember what the, the technology is called, but I think magic tech is the same. It, we have to approach the magic in this world as the same way we did with technology, which is that it's not like the first day that movies happen. Everybody mm. knows immediately how to use magic to make them the most interesting or the best the best workflow or the most interesting workflow. And so I think you you're still finding the ways to use magic in cinema. So like yeah, you've got one illusion wizard who's there making um, the background scenery, but they, you still have to have lighting people to light that background scenery, to light the actors, to light the the set. You gotta have the wizard. I mean, the wizard's gonna be unionized. This is a film set, yeah. so yeah, like. <laughs> and probably pretty expensive. <laughs> yeah, they the, the wizard the 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 background scene wizard is above the line labor one hundred percent. Absolutely, yeah. I like that. Yeah. And like you still have to have you still have to have like costumers, but the costumes are made using magic elements. So but you still have to have them because like you still need to like ha do retakes. And like what if the what if the magician isn't available for those retakes or like what if like they're there they're, you still have to like be mindful of the way movies are made. <laughs> I feel like we're workshopping this a different film now. Like we're like workshopping like a franchise. <laughs> like a <laughs> like what was that movie on Netflix? Like Bright, where it was like you know oh gritty God. gangland LA, but with magic. And like they didn't consider any of this stuff about like how <laughs> magic would impact our world. They just kind of went with it as if it was totally not a problem. Yeah, uh, we're yeah, doing I all guess... the legwork here. We should just make a <laughs> franchise for Netflix. <laughs> Well, the sequels can be maybe more about the because this is not a this is not a game about filmmaking. No. <laughs> All of the stuff we just talked about is background stuff that you rarely engage with. You just see a wizard going yeah yeah yeah, and they're making like uh, they're making Dagobah in the background. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, there's going to be cooking magic. I talked about how great character is, but I just love background lore as well. Like oh, I, yeah. I could write oh, do reams you? of paper about background lore. <laughs> do oh, you, my God. Murphy? who yeah, wrote uh, all of the background info for control <laughs> are you you're into that yeah <laughs> a, little, a bit. little bit i could use 400 more documents about it yeah. <laughs> i think yeah the magic elements are obviously going to be integrated in the catering aspect as well um i think it's almost too obvious to have something where you have to hunt magical ingredients uh because mm. the there have been episodes of this show that have not released yet where we have talked about hunting magical ingredients <laughs> for your cooking rpg i don't think that's a part of this uh, I think there's too much else other happening that's really good. But I do like the idea of this character learning, you know, to some degree, each craft in the catering business, you know, mm -hmm. and that way getting to spend time with all these people who head up the different areas of it. Okay, the yes. Different you're, facets of it. You're just getting started in catering, so you've got to figure out your niche. Yeah, but also caterers don't go pick magic ingredients. They go buy them from a grocery store i imagine so that's true that's true there's probably there's probably an arc where you have to like 
uh, find and charm a mushroom collector to to get a hookup. Like you have to like source ingredients. That's probably a side quest. All of the trust quests are are helping these people do their specialization. So you learn mm -hmm. about about the specialization, and then at a certain point, you'll have to choose your RPG class. Oh, I like that. Yeah, and that's like, <laughs> are you gonna be are you gonna be a business barbarian? Are you gonna be? Are you gonna be a cake decorator cleric? Yeah. yeah, I like that a lot. The canapé paladin. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, real caterers should have a canapé paladin. <laughs> and so you, but you can go through all of these before you, because I think, oh, what if the you have to like throughout this whole game, you have to be like, no, I'm not specializing. I'm not choosing one of these classes. I'm an actor. I'm an actor class. I'm specializing in that. And then you can still have some specialization where it's like, oh, I'm going to be an action actor. So I have a bunch of stats and like strength and dexterity for stunts. Um, or it could be like, no, I'm going to be like a romantic lead. So I've got a lot of points in charisma. So you have that element. But then maybe the, the final arc of the game is you being like, no, I'm ready to be a caterer. I'm going to choose a catering class. That is going to be my specialization. I think we can play with also like the menus in this game. Again, playing too much inscription okay. probably where uh, you go to auditions. You have to be auditioning because you want to be an actor. Every time you okay. fail an audition, which is probably just something we're going to make mandatory, critical path, <laughs> even if it feels like maybe you had a chance because that's just the nature of auditioning. Uh, yeah. You Maybe your skills go down. In whatever skill you were using oh. for that audition, if it if you don't get the role, you lose a point in that. And you're kind of like oh. steadily declining and like kind of losing yourself. And like you're not over time, you are diminishing, not empowering. But as you do catering work, those skills go mm -hmm. back up. Those points go up. Whoa. So we're kind of like building you. We're taking you out of this one lane, very like on the story level, but also like on the gameplay level and putting you into this until you kind of realize that, oh, wait, this is what I'm doing. This is what I've kind of chosen. And I just need to realize that. I love the the concept of like leveling or advancing your skills or attributes as a form of representing like self-respect <laughs> and self-value. Because it is like if you go to a lot of auditions, it can be very demoralizing. And so having that represented in like your literal competency at doing things is such a fascinating idea. And then you go to this job where you're like you're mentored and you're supported and you're told like this is what you're doing right this is what you're doing wrong and and that kind of helps build those skills back up because you're you're rebuilding your self-confidence yeah. in, in your abilities because so much of confidence is confidence and like you know i think unfortunately the audition process even like you know applying for writing gigs like you don't get them all the time and it just chips away at it you know and that's kind of like part of the game <laughs> it's really it, uh, yeah. it takes a toll but yeah you gotta find you gotta find that strength somewhere else yeah. It's also a lesson about not putting all your eggs in one basket in life. You have to have multiple support pillars. Yeah. So that way, if one falls apart, you've got backups, guys. Yeah. I thought for sure when you when you started on that, you went to a really interesting place. I thought for sure you were going to make a menu menu pun or some sort of oh, game menu catering menu. I like that too. <laughs> we can have both. But I mean, we should also be silly with it. I mean, we were, I were talking about this game on a very like serious kind of like thematic level at least i am uh, <laughs> but it should also be silly it should be fun and yeah. you know good time party time good time yeah. party time yeah like yeah. you know there's there's downs and there's ups you know come on yeah 
I mean, I think obviously all of the UI menus are going to be written like menus. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so maybe they change slightly between the gigs because like maybe sometimes it's like a hand scrawled almost style where it's like this is just sketching out what it is. And then sometimes it's very formal printed kind of UI elements. Uh, we'll workshop that and reduce it to um, the same basic UI that all AAA yeah. games have inevitably for accessibility reasons. Yeah, we well, got to get a UI team and then scope it down. Yeah, it's going to be a bummer. Yeah, yeah we're going to kill our darlings. But <laughs> welcome to game dev, folks. <laughs> um, but we don't have to do that here because this is all fantasy. Yeah. In a lot of ways. But yeah. what is like... What happens that I think is the climax here where the person chooses catering over acting? Like, what is the catalyst for that choice? I think there's a lot of good groundwork for it being a learning, you know, over time, something they experience like physically in their menus and their stats, but also with their interpersonal relationships with these people. Uh, But, like, what's like the last straw. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for stories like these, or maybe this is just the kind of stories I'm drawn to, is I love stories where people get what they think they want and realize that that is not what they want. And having like that, that there's something so satisfying about that moment of fruition being bittersweet. And I think that it could be something like that where like they land their first big role and and they go and they do it but they realize that like the maybe the director they're working with is just horrible and and the the other actors they're with are really unpleasant and they can't help but think of their found family back at the catering gig and how how supported and fulfilled they felt doing that work um so it could be something like that i like that like a tableau of scenes where they have the job they're on location they're doing it but their stats are going down gradually because yeah. they're just not happy they're talking to the catering staff on that film because they're just trying to connect with somebody uh <sighs> and it's like not working it's, just, it's not a replacement for the family that they left behind and no. then it's too easy if the catering staff shows up to cater that person's film oh, so yeah. they they have to make the move to go back it has to be their choice it has to be a step that they take yeah, they have to search them out. Mm-hmm. They have to prove. I think it's because especially afterwards, they're going to have to prove to these catering group that that they really are serious about this, that they're not just like giving up on their dream, that they're actively choosing this catering gig instead of just like washing out. Oh, I like that because they also all that trust you've built up with these people, you broke it when you walked yeah. out to take this job. You've maybe gave them like no notice, <laughs> kind of left them in the lurch. <laughs> Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have to imagine that happens a lot in catering. Oh, games. I'm sure. <laughs> just ghosted them. Just did not show up for your shift. Uh, yeah. And then they all saw later, they saw you in your movie and they were like, this is why they ghosted us. Yeah. They got this gig. And we're happy for them, but but then we're hurt. We're hurt for how they treated us. So there's one big final mission where you have to, you have to blow it out of the water. You have to get all of them back. You have to prove to them that you're... This is the avenue for you. You want to be a caterer and you have to get all those heart gauges back up. <laughs> is the way that you is the final mission of this the good time party time where you have to prove that you 
took in the skills that they taught you and and cater like a party and have them all over and be like, no, see, I, I did learn how to cake decorate. I did learn how to make canapes. I did learn how to budget. I, I did learn from you. I Please have me back. And like, that's how you, that's the gameplay element of you going through all of these, these skills that you have learned from them, all of these kind of mini games or games that you've been doing to prove to them that you learned. I like that. There was this game on the Wii the Nintendo Wii. It's such a weird word to say out loud. Uh, it's been a long time since I mentioned it. Um, where you were like a surgeon and you used the the Wii stick, whatever that was oh, called. Was a surgeon simulator. Do you remember that? Like maybe it was like you yeah. like you would cut them open, like you would like stitch them up, and you had like zap cancer out of them or something. It was ridiculous. Yes. It was a ridiculous game, absurd. But the last <laughs> level was really really hard. Like it was timed, and like you had to do everything that you've been doing, but now like on this timer and like really frantic, and mm. it was really easy to fail. And I, I don't think I ever beat it. Uh, <laughs> I'm imagining it like that. Like you're on a timer, yes. you have to do every game like mini game that you've done in the game up until now back to back to back to back yes, and like a mini game gauntlet yeah and you have to get all of them like perfect or else if you slip oh. you run out of time and oh. they're gonna show up and be disappointed and it's devastatingly hard <laughs> yes yeah. i love the idea of a mini game boss rush yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's really good um let's name this game this is the hardest part. If we haven't come up with a, a name until this point, this is the hardest point. I wanted just to say party time because it plays into the RPG party Ooh, thing. But also, yeah? but I feel like catering, you know, we've already established it's a good time, maybe not party time. <laughs> You've already chagrined me for that. <laughs> so That's true. Um, mm. I, I do like the double meaning of party there. Yeah, so so we have these elements. We have the RPG elements and we have the catering elements. And we kind of have the acting elements, but I don't know if we want to emphasize that in the title. So how do we get... I like party as a way of getting both of those elements in here. A thing I've learned over my time is that sometimes you're like, definitely there's going to be an overlapping pun for two things, but a lot of times it's not. And puns are actually very hard. <laughs> yeah, I just got finished writing a bunch of puns for Alan Wake 2 and... I'm not good at them. Like I'm fundamentally not good at them. I, what puns did you do for Alan Wake 2? Saga Anderson really? has uh, some real mom humor. Um, okay. but That's funny. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to have to keep, I'm going to scope an eye out. Every time I see a pun, I'm going to screenshot it <laughs> and send it to you and be like, is this you? <laughs> did you do this? <laughs> the answer is yes. Um, we could do something like, uh, maybe it's a portmanteau. Well, because RPG, okay, we're thinking about RPG titles. Those are often really long and laborious and have like semicolons in it. So we could do something like oh, that's nice. um, uh, the party of food, <laughs> the prophecy of food, the prophecy of acting. Uh, prophecy is such a good word to have in an RPG title. And I say good, I mean, it's such an obvious word to have in an RPG title. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I want to make it really grand now. I'm thinking like the Legend of Mana and stuff like that. Like okay. Prophecy of the Stage, colon, Party of One sort of thing. Party of One is so good. Because that really captures that thematic element of yeah. this person being like, no, I'm the ultimate actor. Yeah, they think they're the, the top, arrogance. but also they're just isolated. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, what about like Prophecy of Hollywood, Party of One? 
prophecy. Prophecy would. That's nothing. I was saying it out loud to see if it would work. Doesn't that's, work. Doesn't people work. underestimate how important it is to sometimes say dumb stuff out loud to see if it's going to work. Yeah, because it could sound great and it didn't. Yeah, prophecy would, isn't it? Um, <laughs> but it could have been. It's but it is funny to say. I like prophecy of Hollywood. Okay, it's a full full phrase. Like, I mean, prophecy of the stage is also good because that's so like prophecy of like the silver screen, like that kind of. I want like mm, more words. Prophecy of the real. I want like the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. Like how? I guess like a billion words in one title. Like how did that happen? Uh, <laughs> Uh, Fellowship of the Caterers, Party of One. Fellowship of the Caterers, Party of One. That's, I like that actually a lot. Because <laughs> there's the group element, but also they're choosing to be alone. <laughs> yeah, and it, it captures both the RPG, but but also <laughs> the kind of surreal element we have, which is like the, the RPG element, but also you are caterers. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, at the end of the day, we're all a party of one, you know. Wow. Everybody parties alone when you think about it. It's It's that quote from a loss, like we all die alone or something. Yeah. We we all party alone. We all party alone. We're all that meme of the one person in the the corner during a party. (laughs) No one here knows I party. (laughs) No one at this party knows that I party. (laughs) Something really sad about that. Like, yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't prove to them, even though you're in the exact place where you would be able to do that. <laughs> I'm partying. They just don't know. They just don't get it. <laughs> All right, um, Clay, do you have anything to plug? Is it just Alan Wake Two? It's Alan Wake Two. Uh, <laughs> out now in digital storefronts. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Please enjoy. It's a very bizarre journey. I hope you. Yeah. I hope you like it. Um, everybody, everybody's going wild for it. So I have to assume anybody who's listening to this is playing or has intentions to play. And good. Right, well, maybe maybe this will convince you if you were on the fence. The <laughs> fellowship of the. <laughs> They're gonna be like, no, I'm like what? I thought that was like a serious game. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know if Fellowship of the Caterers Party of One is gonna give hints like, to play Hell and yeah. Wake too. Game of the Year contender? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know if it's gonna set them up well for their, their Alan Wake Two expectations, or it could set them up perfectly. Uh, or it could. I mean, it's it has some twists and turns. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you. Big Game Hunger is part of the Multitude Collective of Podcasts, edited and mixed by the talented Misha Stanton, and created and hosted by me, Jenna Stever. To support this show directly, subscribe at patreon.com slash thejenna. Hey, Clay, what's one word, adjective, gameplay type, premise, etc. that you would like added to the ingredient list? I'm very excited about this one, so I don't think anyone's going to have used it. Rampage. That game Whoa. where it's like a Godzilla simulator and you're just destroying buildings and eating people out of the buildings? That's my game type that I want to add in here. I don't know what it's called. Godzilla Sim? That's what I would, I I'm guess, gonna, call it. No, Godzilla Sim. I'm going to put Godzilla Sim parentheses uh, rampage. <laughs> parentheses don't sue us, Godzilla company, whoever you are. <laughs> yeah, they really don't make a lot of rampage style games anymore. They just stopped making it. I don't know what happens. Yeah. Well, maybe somebody will hear this and be like, I will do it. For Clay, I will do it. 
thank you for joining me, Clay. <laughs> thank you, Gemma. Really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Oh, good. I'm glad. I think it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, I'm glad that came through. <laughs> uh, thank you, audience, for listening to Big Game Hunger. And don't forget to wishlist Fellowship of the Caterers Party of One on Steam. TBD is our release date. Look for it <laughs> definitely sometime. <laughs> Probably soon. We're not busy. We're not. Yeah, this is gonna. We're working on it. Yeah. <laughs>